My name is Janelle Peterson. Um, I'm the moderator for this session. You're in the workshop called Mom's Life. Um, I recently became a mom myself, and it was one of those things I really learned that you can't um, control everything anymore in your life. <laughs> so I'm really excited about this workshop and really excited that what Wendy has to say because she just has a lot of wisdom. Um, she's been through a lot in a very short amount of time. She has kids of all variety, and she's also just really rich, rich in her relationship with the Lord, rich in her relationship with her kids, just rich in wisdom and knowledge. And that's something that is biblical that we're supposed to glean from, that we're supposed to receive from. So I'm excited to, to hear from her. Just to give you a little background, she has been married for 18 years to John. She has four children, Josiah, who is 17, uh, Tyler, who's 15, Michaela, who's 13, and Drew, who is 10. They've been at Glad Tidings for 13 years, and the best part, she has a blog. So if you want to continue to listen to her wisdom, her stories, I encourage you to uh, Google her blog. It's windygertis.com, so it's her name.com. It's pretty simple. Nice web address. That was, that was genius. Um, she also has a small group for moms that will be starting on March the 19th. So write that down if you are interested. Um, it'll be the third Monday of every month, and it's going to start on March 19th. Do you know what time? At 7 p.m. Oh, good. So you can get the pajamas on the kids and walk out and let, you know, <laughs> let somebody else put them to bed. Um, so anyway, uh, that starts on March 19th. For, so we don't waste any more time. Wendy. So I'm really excited that you guys are here today because I think that God has some really great things for all of us. Um, I know that he loves to restore and breathe life into our lives. And I just, he wants to do things today. And I'm just really excited <laughs> about what he wants to do. And I just encourage you, as Bib and I share, just to ask him to speak to your heart what he wants to share with you today. Um, we're going to be talking about some of the harder parts of motherhood. But what I really want is for you to leave here encouraged and that we know that we are and always will be a work in progress, and that's okay. So sometimes we can lose, this, we can lose sight of the things that we're doing because of the mundane tasks at hand and just the day in, the day out, and even some of our own difficulties that we're working through. Um, I wrote this a couple of years ago. And then it's really helped me to keep perspective, actually. So I'm going to read it to you. It's called Cathedral Builders. When our four people were small ones with big needs, I often felt like a child making a block tower in a room full of children. Carefully, I would build a tall tower only to have it knocked down at the end of the day. Each day there were meals to be made laundry to do, and all the other things that go along with taking care of big lives and small bodies. This is true for all moms, whether working or at home. There are tasks that go along with mothering that seem so small, especially when disconnected from the bigger picture. I thought the mundane things didn't matter. They were only necessary. I was so wrong. What I couldn't see then and I'm starting to see now more clearly is as moms, we are building cathedrals. We are building lives. It's not just any old building. When we give God our lives, he dwells in us, his wisdom, his vision, his hope, and his heart. We are building small ones who will become big ones with the capacity to know God and to bring his hope and restoration to the hurting world. 
beautiful cathedrals. That is what you are building. And one brick at a time. That little worship song you sing at bedtime, that little song is shaping the soul and giving truth that he will carry with him. That way you pray with him and help him go to God with his fears. He is learning that there is someone bigger and more capable than he is that can handle his life. The way you go to God when you mess up and you always, and you also apologize to that little heart. He is learning you too need a restoring God. If this God is big enough for you, he's big enough for him too. Our God is big enough to handle our failures and because of his kindness, He doesn't leave us there, but he changes us. The home you are creating through all you do matters, and it matters a lot. 17 years into this mothering journey, I often think that if I had known then what I know now, I would have enjoyed things a little more. I wouldn't have spent so much time believing that the small things I did didn't matter because I can see that they did. I listened to the kids talk about the memories I didn't know we were making, the endless walks we took because going places with small ones was just simply too hard, our still favorite pastime. Those little walks provide the biggest conversations. When the worship team sings the lullaby worship song at church, I catch sideways glances from the teens. The song You Dance Over Me is embedded in their mind as theirs. Obviously, there are bricks I would like to remove and days where I built with something ugly that I didn't intend to build with. There are some bricks of anger, depression, discouragement, and hard times. But even in those places, the kids have had front row seats to the redemptive power of God and his ability to truly bring change in a life that is seeking him. So mom, let's keep building and ask for his wisdom for the task at hand. We are cathedral builders. And the thing is, guys, sometimes we so want to build well, but there are things that stand in our way. And I remember when our oldest son was born, everybody left the room. My husband went to get food, and I was sitting there with this baby, and I thought to myself, I'm going to get this right. I'm never going to hurt you, and I am not ready for this. (laughs) And it didn't take long to realize that this vow wasn't going to work. I had this pressure to do everything absolutely right. And, you know, the pressure now is even greater because 17 years ago we had a little bit of Internet. Um, We only had books, playgroups, and phone conversations to torture each other with. And now, and share our profound wisdom with each other, make each other feel bad. But now we have Internet and chat rooms and all this kind of stuff. And here's the thing. There are opposing opinions everywhere about everything, and most of those things actually don't really matter. There's a judgment. Opinions are villainized and deified. Vaccinations, school choice, breastfeeding, co-sleeping, milestones, parenting styles, you name it. The judgment culture, there's a judgment and shame culture, and it says you are doing it wrong, you could and should do it better, and you are failing. And because of the pressure and insecurity in us, we are quick to judge other moms when they do things differently, and we feel judged as well. However, when we find our identity in God and who he says we are, others' choices and opinions no longer threaten us. But how do we actually come to that place? Another unexpected thing that we can sometimes feel is a sense of loss, and nobody wants to talk about this. 
But we know that motherhood brings a lot of really great things, but there is a loss to our life. You have a loss of your body, loss of downtime, sleep, schedule, control, pursuing your own interests, marriage as you knew it, um, just all kinds of different things fill in your own loss. Losses that are not grieved can lead to depression and even resentment. Um, but it's okay to grieve your old life because your old life probably had some good things in it. And with every season, when we let go of one season to grab a hold of another, there are some good things we have to let go. It doesn't mean you don't love your kids. It just means life is different now. And you miss some of the more important things or some of the important things in your last season. It's important to move past this and be able to embrace the current season you're in. But how do we do this? So we'll be talking about how Jesus can change our mothering and and bring hope to our hearts in the middle of everyday life. And I'll be sharing my story in a little bit. But right now I'm going to have Bib go ahead and share her story. And it's, it's really powerful. So I'm excited for you to hear this. Thank you. I'm actually going to sit on the stool. And I wrote it out because... It is a hard testimony, and uh, therefore, if I read it, you will get the whole thing, and I'll get through it. Thank you. In a time when there was no such term as postpartum depression, and no one talked about the baby blues, in fact, you were ostracized for any form of emotional illness, I was a young mom to a second child, and I was dealing with emotions, thoughts, considerations no new mom should ever deal with. I had a perfect first child, beautiful, fun, slept when he was tired wherever we were, rarely cried. This made me feel like I must be a perfect mom. Anybody else been there? Then I had number two. Drew was due on July 10th, but not born until August 6th. No ultrasounds back then. In order to be home for his due date, Bob, my husband, postponed his reserved summer camp date and the last available camp date when Bob had to go. Just happened to be when Drew decided, well, actually the doctors decided he should be born. It was an induced dry birth. Tough. But Bob not being there to share with me made it even tougher. The birth of a child is a time of joy, but the enemy planted a seed of rejection because of these circumstances, no no matter how explainable they were. Sometimes your brain processes circumstances differently than what they really were. Bob came home a few days later, but had just started a new managerial role at work, which kept him away and distracted when he was home. Drew cried continuously. I thought of him as an unhappy baby, but as all four of his children have been diagnosed with a protein lactose intolerance allergy, I am sure that's what he was dealing with. His formula was causing him horrible pain, very similar to colic. He would scream continually, and I was just plain ignorant of what he was going through. As the exhaustion of caring for him and a toddler set in, I remember one specific time I was giving Drew a bath. He was screaming so hard that his whole little body was red. 
The thought played in my mind as how peaceful it would be if I just held him under the water. But then how could I explain to Bob his drowning in the bath? I just wanted to stop the screaming, and I know it had to be the grace of God that held me back. I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus at that time, but because of being raised in a godly home, God's mercy prevailed, and I didn't act on the thought, even though I really entertained it. What did happen was the guilt of that single thought set a wedge between my baby and me. I knew I was supposed to love him, but I was spent and the guilt overwhelmed. This divide lasted for four long years. Who could I talk to about something so horrible? No one told me that many young women dealt with depression after birth, and mine was accelerated by my ignorance and my guilt. Later, as a new Christian, I finally sought the prayer and advice of a friend. I was, of course, I was sure that my feelings were Drew's fault as he continually acted out the emotional divide between us. There had to be something wrong with him. He needed deliverance. Be aware that others will often react to the things hidden in us be it rejection, depression, discouragement, or any other of the enemy's tools. They feel that, and they act it out. Thank God for the wisdom of my friend. She challenged me to wait until Drew was asleep every night and go in, pick him up, hold him while he slept, and pray in the Spirit. In my prayer language, for 20 minutes, every night, for two weeks. This was one of the hardest things I've ever done at first. But oh, how it changed my heart towards my son. It healed my heart and soul, and I could finally forgive myself and love my child. Drew is now 43. When he and his wife were experiencing similar attacks with screaming children, you know, the devil is repetitive, always. He's not imaginative. And Morgan, who nursed her babies, had to restrict all lactose products from her diet for at least a year with each of them. I was able to share this testimony with them. In fact, Drew will still introduce himself to you as, I'm the one that she tried to drown. I told him I didn't try. I just thought about it. I was able to walk them through their experiences, praying with them and for them. If any of you have or ever do go through a season like this, please reach out, even if it happened to you 40-some years ago. Find a mother or sister to share your story with. Understand deliverance will come when the enemy is exposed. This is the reason why we need each other. It is the reason we need to be real with each other so that our enemy is exposed and our God is given the glory. Thank you.
That was powerful, wasn't it? I love how God, um, when we are willing to open up with other people, how he frees us from shame. Starting my timer. Okay. So when I'm trying to think about something going on in my mind, whether it be depression or anxiety or anything, I found an analogy um, by Neil Anderson and Bondage Breaker, which is really helpful for me. And he talks about how your brain is kind of like a computer. So basically, if something's wrong with your computer, there's something wrong with the hardware, the software, or it may have a virus. And this is helpful for me because when you look at this compared to your mind, the hardware would be like your brain is misfiring. Maybe you have postpartum depression. You have hormonal issues. It's something physical going on in your brain. And for this, you probably need medication or a doctor's intervention. It's not something you can think your way out of. Or, um, of course, God can heal you, but it, it's something physical. And then there's the software part. And if a computer is not running because the software is bad, you can change out the software, put better software in, and it will function correctly. And this would be like our emotional or thinking, our heart issues. So bad software for us would be like worldly ideas, bad attitudes, bad thinking, lies we believe about ourselves or others, negative self-talk, hurtful past, or destructive ways we deal with life. These tend to be either sinful and or habitual ways we think and interact with others. These can just be patterns we've had our whole life. Um, And learning to think correctly is very important. Romans 12.2 says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. In some ways, we can learn to think correctly are through counseling, reading different books that are helpful, um, just the Bible, worship music, godly friends, and things like that. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. But emotions are primarily a product of our thoughts. Do any of these thoughts sound familiar? I'm such a bad mom. I'm going to mess up my kids. My kids will hate me because of my mistakes. I'm on my own. It's all up to me. I have to do everything. No one really appreciates me. I can't do this. How does she do all of that? I bet she never has a day like I did. I don't think I actually like my kids. I don't want to be a mom anymore. I don't ever get to do what I want to do. I'm trapped, and I don't have what it takes. And if we have these thoughts continually, it's no wonder that we'll start to feel depressed, and defeated and discouraged. And some of these thoughts are just our own. It's hard to give our way, ourselves away every single day. And sometimes we just don't want to. And some of these are just selfish things that we need to give to God and ask him to change our hearts. Some of these things are voices in our past and unhealed places that God wants to heal and restore. Maybe they even come from other people in our lives. And this, this is where we need Jesus to come in and heal. And then this brings us to the last part of the computer analogy. And this is where the enemy brings in thoughts to defeat us. And this would be like a virus or malware. And malware is installed with the intent of disrupting and destroying the computer, much like the enemy. 
And this is oppression and lies from the enemy and strongholds in our life because of sin, our own sin, or maybe even other sins against us. Bad thinking or agreeing with lies also opens the doors to strongholds in our life. So it's kind of, it can be connected to the software part. Um, we get rid of these by repenting and telling the enemy that he has no right to our life in that area because of Jesus' blood and the finished work of the cross. James 4, 7 says, Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And 2 Corinthians 10, 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And so on your handout, on the resource part, there's um, under the resources on the bottom, there's a list of resources that I personally have found really, really helpful. And there are a lot of resources out there, but these are ones that I particularly have found helpful. So, And also there's ransomedheart.com backslash pray, and that has some guided prayers on there that I've even found helpful. Even this week I was... Um, struggling with something in my mind, and my husband sent me one. He said, can you just pray this daily prayer over your mind because you're really struggling? So we use this at our house. Um, So today we're going to focus on the software and virus aspects of our mind. And I have learned that motherhood is not passive, but a fight for our own hearts, our homes, and our families. So I'm going to go into my story, and you're going to see just how all three of these parts came into play for me. So John and I got married in 2000. Um, We met at Bible school. And in five years, I went from active, busy, visible, single college girl in Florida to married with three children under four, moving seven times, going through two major losses, three job changes for John, and moving back to Omaha. And the next five years were crazy as well. We had a stillborn daughter, moved again, had another baby, John had a bad health diagnosis, we had a major marriage struggle, John almost lost his business, and we went through a very difficult financial time. In In total, we had 10 years with a lot of rapid change and some really, really difficult circumstances. And I always assumed that my internal chaos was a result of the outward circumstance. And I don't want to give the impression that these 10 years were just terrible because we had some beautiful times in there and some really good times, and it wasn't just all depressing. Um, We learned so much about God through, you know, like our stillborn daughter and my husband's health, and God just kept showing up over and over, and I learned so many great things about him, and I learned that he always comes through. But for the purpose of today, I'm going to focus on the part of me that lived under the constant feeling of never being enough. Even though God did some amazing things, there was a constant weight and sadness that I just couldn't seem to shake. And no one really knew that I had, except for John. Um, And what I didn't know is you cannot bury loss, pain, unforgiveness, or shame. It grows, produces lies, a bad identity, and an internal storm. I threw everything I was into motherhood. I had always wanted to be a mom, and it became my identity. If I got one thing right in life, it was going to be motherhood. As the kids grew, so did my internal storm. 
Attempts at being a perfect mom were met with failure. Every night, our bedtime routine consisted of me brushing my teeth, washing my face, getting in bed, and reciting to John all the ways I had failed to the day in the day. And it was followed with, I'm such a bad mom. And then he would say, you're a good mom, and recite all the things that I had done right. And in my mind, I would think, whatever, you don't know. And I would roll over in bed. I found myself easily irritated and nowhere near the patient mom I had always hoped I would be. I thought I had hormonal issues, and I did. I had surgery, and it helped some, but not as much as I had been hoping. And I kept thinking, when this storm passes, when this gets easier, when the kids are older, when circumstances calm down, then I'll be free of this. Sometimes the chain was longer, and I would think I was free, only to be yanked back again. And then something very bad happened. In 2013 and 14, everything was great. My marriage was great. Finances were great. The kids were really easy ages, and I hit my lowest point. And I thought, this is going to be with me for the rest of my life. I wanted to be more for the kids, but the more I tried, the more I tried, the more hopeless I became. I remember I was crying in the bedroom because I couldn't, I couldn't take the stress of the day, and John came in and he said, I am so scared, I don't know what to do with you. I think you're going to have a nervous breakdown. And I quickly learned that mothering only highlights the unhealthy places in us. Inward chaos takes away our ability to deal with the outer chaos that motherhood always brings. And inward chaos is not the result of motherhood. It is only exposed by motherhood. And this is in the book, Christ and the Chaos. So heart chaos is a result of inward worship of self, worship of my own abilities to merit God's favor and approve of myself, the desire to compare myself my successes with others, and the longing to know deep down that I'm really okay. Heart chaos comes from thinking that all the goodness in my personal world depends on me getting my act together. And this defines perfectly where I was. So I had a software problem because the thing was, I had been, I got, I grew up in a Christian home and I got saved in 96. And I had, I had a really, I, I really um, spent a lot of time with the Lord and stuff, but I still believed at my core that God was generally unhappy with me. I wouldn't have said it because I know that's not right, but how I functionally lived, that's how it was. And I thought my value depended on, I thought my v- value to him depended on what I did and how well I did it. And I couldn't do it well enough anymore. Many of the statements I read earlier ran through my mind often. I was doing the right things, but I was believing all the wrong things. And then in February 2014, I remember I went to visit my brother and sister-in-law, and my sister-in-law was working at a retreat, so I had to go. I didn't really want to. And I don't even remember what the lady talked about. I don't remember anything. I just know she said, what would it look like if you were totally free? I opened up my journal, and I wrote, help me, in all capital letters, slammed it shut, put it in my purse, zipped my shirt, my 
not my shirt, my purse shut. And I thought, I really didn't think that God would come for me. But what I found is when we need God the most, we deserve, we deserve him the least, and that's grace. So a few months later, I could kind of feel God moving on my heart, but I was still pretty closed um, inwardly and just, I don't know. Um, but in August, I was spending time with him, and he told me, he said, Wendy, I'm singing songs of deliverance and freedom over you. And I thought, I am really crazy now. <laughs> So anyway, he brought me to Zephaniah 317, and it says, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. And then Psalm 32, 7 says, You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble, and you will surround me with songs of deliverance. And I, I had heard that verse before, but I didn't really grab onto it. And after he said this to me, it became one of my favorite verses. And what I learned that day is that I'm fought for. And he replaced the God tolerates me with God fights for me. And that's what um, he keeps doing that. He's even doing it right now. I was feeling forgotten in the fall. Right now, what he's saying is you're remembered. So I actually have that in my kitchen and that's kind of what that sheet is that I gave you guys, where it has, you know, lies we believe. That's how he's worked with me to free me from a lot of things. He'll give me a truth, and then it might just be like two words. And I will put it on a chalkboard or whatever, but that's kind of the banner over my life at that time. Um, so his words for us are freedom and deliverance. The cross shows us his mission was freedom for each and every one of us. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. And he continues to build my trust that he is fighting for me and with me. And he kept doing that. Um, what I found is that he just did that over and over for a couple of months because he's so gentle. He knew that I really couldn't open up to him unless I really, really understood that he loved me. And I don't want you to think that this was all just, oh, amazing. I was actually feeling very, very fragile at the time because he was uprooting a lot of things. Um, we can't really trust God with our most shameful, broken places if we don't believe he's for us. And then life changed drastically when I learned not only can I not earn God's approval, I cannot destroy his affection for me. I'm not strong enough to destroy it. And for me, that's really powerful. And then in the fall of 2014, he asked me to get out of all the good things I was doing because I was pretty involved. Then he just asked me to get out of everything. And what I didn't know is that he was trying to separate my identity from what I do and how well I perform. And he began a process of helping me change the software of my mind in many areas. He did many things, but I also had to choose to protect my mind. I listened to worship music a lot because I was trying to um, have my thoughts just go toward God and not just to chaos. I processed heart issues through things like boundaries, the book's boundaries, and other books that deal with inner healing and heart issues. Counseling can also be very useful for this. I chose to forgive places where I'd been hurt, and I was very honest with John and God. Um, 
And I also tried to be really aware, well, God helps me to be aware, um, of just the different thoughts in my mind. So I am fragile or weak became I am more than a conqueror because of his love for me. And I am a bad mom changed to I am a transforming mom and a forgiven mom who is loved by God. And on repeat in my mind, he kept saying, I am the God who heals you. And God is so kind because he is fighting alongside of us for our freedom. He was helping me to learn to renew my mind. And this is another one where I thought it was kind of weird, but he called me, he said, my delight. And he actually woke me up one morning with that on my mind, my delight. And that wasn't really a favorite word of mine. But then it, it was so meaningful because I'm a word nerd. So when I looked up delight, the antonym is disappointing, bad, unamusing, unenjoyable, and unhappy. And this is how I felt. But delight means to enjoy, to please, and take pleasure in. And you have to understand I was at the lowest point at this point in my life. And even in my broken and needy state, he delighted in me. So Psalm 149.4 says, for the, Lord take, sorry, for the Lord delights or takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the afflicted ones. Afflicted means humble, those who know they are needy, the harassed, the tormented, and the damaged with salvation. And that's deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. And then there was the virus aspect. He brought freedom where the enemy had been oppressing me. I learned to take authority over strongholds in my life. And as they broke over me, we watched them break over one of our children as well. And the change was immediate. Um, some of the ways that he freed me. I was reading Free to Live one night by John Eldridge. That's also in your research or in your um, handout. And God freed me in the middle of the night just while reading the book. There was a prayer in there, and I prayed it. And honestly, I was just like, eh, whatever, I'll pray this. <laughs> and God just freed me. Um, another time, he gave me a dream, and he showed me a stronghold that was in my life. And he prayed. In my dream, I prayed. So when I woke up, I knew exactly what to do and what to pray. Um, John prayed for me for something else. Um, but one of the most powerful things was that God began showing me lies I had believed and how to use truth to break strongholds. And God can, and that's also that handout I gave you. Again, that's the lies and then the truth. So God continues to do this in me, and I am learning I don't have to live defeated in condemnation or fear of messing up our kids. Because God showed me and con continues to show me his heart for me, I am able to rest in that and not how I perform. Chaos still erupts at our house. We have three teens, so we call these the what-the-heck years because we go to bed. I look at my husband and say, what the heck? He says, I don't know. Go to sleep. <laughs> and, and that's true. <laughs> um, and I have to go to my room to reorient a lot, but a new pattern is emerging. Instead of reminding myself who I'm not, I remind myself who he is, who he says I am, and who he says my kids are. And when they see us fight for our freedom, they learn to fight for their own as well. We've even seen this with our 10-year-old. He's fighting a lie right now, and he came and asked me for a verse for his pocket because he knows that truth can break the lies over our life. So conviction and guilt says what I did was bad, and it leads to repentance and restored relationship. 
God's voice will never reduce you. It will restore you. Condemnation and shame says, I am bad, and it destroys and sends you into hiding. I am learning to invite God into everything. Good things, the chaos, the tasks, the car rides, the failures. And knowing what God thinks about us and who, we, who he says we are changes everything. We always act like who we believe we are. We are warrior women, women who are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us and gave himself up for us. Our kids don't need a perfect mom, but they need a transforming mom. And God is fighting for you wherever you find yourself right now. Right now we're going to take a minute and listen to Out of Hiding by Stephanie Gressinger. And if you guys just want to write in your journals or just let God kind of speak to you. So... (laughs) 